0: on this unusual day. So go ahead and open your Bibles to John chapter 11. Uh, This will be uh, the last sermon today or the last time we look at this series in John. For the rest of the year, I'm going to just put a pause with John for the next several weeks. We'll pick it back up in January. January. I have some individual theme ideas I want us to look at over the next several weeks as we walk through the holidays, starting with next Sunday with why to be thankful. And I know the immediate question that's raised is why am I doing a Thanksgiving style themed sermon idea the Sunday after Thanksgiving? Because we tend to forget to be thankful as soon as Thanksgiving Day is over. So, I'm doing this intentionally to remind you to be thankful. All right, I'll read this section of John chapter 11 where Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead, and then we will see where the Lord will take us. John chapter 11, verse 38. Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. And Jesus said, take away the stone." Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he's been dead four days. And Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I know that you always hear me. But I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Oh Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for this word, these words about you bringing Lazarus out from the grave. Father, we pray that as we look into these words, that your heart would mend and mesh with our hearts, that we would open up to you, and that your Holy Spirit would come and dwell within us fully and completely. So that we see you and understand you in ways that we could not have before being with you this morning. And I know, Lord, we're always with you and you're always with us. But as we gather here together as your church and the corporate body together as a fellowship of community and fellowship of believers. Your spirit does work in us that we cannot understand and appreciate apart separately but occurs when we are together in fellowship with you and with each other. Lord, I pray that this would be a time of great joy, both during our fellowship afterwards, but also during our fellowship in your word this morning. Father, I ask that you would give me wisdom and discernment to speak your words truthfully and clearly, and that your words would flow from my lips in Jesus' holy name. Amen. So John says here in verse 38 that Jesus was deeply moved. He was deeply moved earlier in the passage before he wept. And now he is for a second time. John points out that Jesus is deeply moved. Why? Well, uncomfortably, we have to admit that we can only speculate And we have to admit this because John does not tell us why or about what was Jesus deeply moved. Now, we can make some pretty good guesses at a couple of things. He might have been deeply moved with the frustration at the naysayers in verse 37. But some of them said, could he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? He could have been deeply moved by that. Because listen, that word wasn't just a casual statement. Right? I mean, I emphasized this last week how they just could not let him grieve in peace at Lazarus's death. But instead, they had to poke him, you know, another little, oh, well, you know, if he was really this super Jesus that he says he is, He could have kept the man alive. I mean, look, if he opened up this blind man's eyes from a few weeks ago, he could have kept Lazarus alive. So he's not exactly who he says he is. They attacked his personhood and his identity with that statement. So he could have been moved about that. But probably not. The scriptures don't record Jesus being deeply moved by the negative emotions. It does You know, you have the incident where he overturns the tables, but it's pretty rare. Usually when he's described something like this, it's something more intimate. It could have been that he was moved at the father granting resurrection life to Jesus. I mean, look, this is no small thing to raise somebody from the dead. Okay, this is really a big deal. And God is granting this to him, but he's also granting it to Lazarus and Mary, and Martha, and oh, by the way, all their friends who have lost Lazarus in their fellowship. And that God would grant the restoration of all of that. He could have been moved at the glory that the Father was giving to him and to the Father himself. Because Jesus describes it down here in verse 40, that this was for God's glory and to glorify himself, for the father to glorify himself and for the father to glorify Jesus. That could have been what it was about. But at the end of the day, we just have to admit we don't know. What we know is that he was deeply moved again for a second time. And this is our Jesus. He feels deeply. He experiences emotions deeply like you and I do. And that is no small thing either. That he feels deeply like you and I feel deeply. Not just how we feel deeply about certain things like the philosophical views and practices of our government but also how we feel deeply at the things that are critically important to us, our immediate family members, and the feelings of loss when they are not there, especially when they are not there from death. He felt that too. But... It's also possible that he was deeply moved over something else. Unfortunately, there in verse 39, we see Jesus has to confront unbelief again. I mean, it's really kind of surprising how quickly Martha went from believing to unbelieving. I mean, we could expect Mary to say such a thing after her response in verse 32, where she just said, oh, if you'd been here, Lazarus wouldn't have died. But remember earlier in the passage, it was Martha was the one who made this wonderful confession of faith in Christ when she said, oh, Lord Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. And so here, I mean, we're like. Minutes. I mean, certainly not hours. Absolutely not hours. Probably less than an hour from when she says those words to when she says these. Martha was the one with faith, but now she's not? What a shame. What a shame. She could lose her faith that fast. We know that kind of back and forth, don't we? We also know that shame too. That we believe one minute, we don't the next. I do. <sighs> okay, fine. Yes, I'll admit it. I was, Even this week, I was yes and I was no. I was believing and not believing. I was trusting and not trusting. And I felt the shame of that. And while the word shame is not in this chapter, or actually anywhere in the Gospel of John, It is still all over this chapter. You can almost hear them adding, oh, isn't it a shame? At every instance throughout this chapter, oh, Lord, if you'd been here, Lazarus wouldn't have died. Isn't it a shame? Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Oh, what a shame. So we're going to park here for a couple of minutes on the subject of shame. Shame is an attack on our identity. Shame is an attack on identity. When we can hear it in their voice, oh, could not he who have opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Isn't it a shame? That's an attack on Jesus's Identity. And when we feel shame, that's an attack on our identity. Look, there are a ton of verses in the Bible that use the word shame. Almost none of them are God speaking. God does not shame his people. And especially in our culture today, shame means something more than it did in their culture in that day. Shame is not from the Holy Spirit. Conviction that leads to repentance and restoration, that's from the Holy Spirit but not shame. And here's how I know that. When you feel shame, do you ever wanna run out into the middle of the street and do anything? No. When we feel shame, we wanna run into the closet and hide. Shame leads to isolation. And the Holy Spirit is never, ever going to lead us into isolation that cuts us off from our Father in heaven and Jesus. The Spirit only leads one way into Jesus, not away from him. And that's what shame really means and does in our culture today. Shame is an attack on our identity It says, oh, you thought you were this person, but you're not. You're really this. Let me read to you just a little bit about what our father has to say about the subject of shame. If you just want to look up all the times the word shame is used in the book of Psalms, You will do well and you will be greatly blessed. Let me just read to you a few passages from Psalm chapter 22. See if this first verse sounds familiar to you and then recognize it's connected to the word shame. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer, and by night I find no rest. Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. In you our fathers trusted, they trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued, in you they trusted and were not put to shame. There is no shame when we are trusting in our Father in heaven. Psalm 25, to you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, in you I trust. Let me not be put to shame. Let not my enemies exalt over me. Indeed, none who wait for you shall be put to shame. They shall be ransomed who are wantonly treacherous. Shame is not for God's people. It's for his enemies and those who hate him and hate his people. Okay, well, hey, but that's Old Testament stuff, right? I mean, that's great, but really, what does the New Testament say about shame? That's what really matters. Okay, that's not true, but some think that. Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. We often feel shame at the result of bad things happening to us. Sometimes we do it to ourselves and sometimes it's done by others to us. But look at how our father views the thing we think is shameful. We rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope and hope does not put us to shame because his love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. Look, even when Jesus directly speaks to someone's shame, It is in the context of their abandoning their identity and a call to return to who they are in Him. Revelation 3.15, here where Jesus is speaking directly to the church at Laodicea. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. What that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing Behold, I am at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me. Do you see? Even in the thing that sounds shameful, it is a call to come back to me, says Jesus. Okay. So shame is an attack on our identity. It says we are somebody we are not. We are not that because of what Christ Jesus has done for us and our faith and belief in him. When we put our trust in Jesus and his work on the cross for his forgiveness of our sins and delivering us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, we are not that anymore. We are his people now. We are this. I want you to turn in your Bibles. Open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1. Girls eat popcorn. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. Hey, everybody's got to have some way to remember it. Ephesians chapter 1. I'm going to read... Verses 3 through 14. Now what I want you to do, I want you to take out your pen or your pencil or whatever writing instrument you have, and I want you to put a bracket between verse 3 all the way through verse 14, and I want you to write, this is who I am. Ephesians chapter 1. Write that in the margin. This is who I am. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Even as He, God, chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love, God predestined us for adoptions as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Some translations even say accepted in the beloved, and the beloved being Jesus. In Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he has lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In Christ, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In Jesus, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit, who is the guarantor of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. This is who you are. Adopted, chosen, accepted, redeemed, forgiven, lavished upon, filled with the fullness and given the Holy Spirit as a seal of the promise of eternal life until the day we possess it in Jesus Hallelujah. Amen. This is who you are. And every time shame comes in and says, you ain't that. You run back to this place. This is who you are. This is who we are. Look, I'm not trying to, you know, I I'm never ever coming to you as if like I don't ever have this problem. Like usually I have the problem before I have to talk about it with you. I know how easy it is to forget who I am. That's why I wrote it on my arm. Cuz it's so easy for me to forget. And I know how hard it is to remember to come back to this spot at the moment you feel it the strongest. That you're not who you... (sighs) Amy was reading Psalm 78 yesterday morning. And I just broke down because that was me. I mean, I did that. All the things he's done for me and I still said, I can't trust you. That's what Psalm 78 is describing. And I did that. Praise God. He reminded me who I am. I am, I am this. Because he chose me. And redeemed me. And so he has for you, my brothers and sisters. He has chosen you and redeemed you. And back here in the Gospel of John in chapter 11, verses 41 and 42, Jesus tells us that what's about to happen is for their benefit, but also for ours so that we will believe. If I'm going to have all this in Jesus, Jesus better have something special. And this is what He has. So that we would hear and know that the Father is bringing glory to Himself because the Father listens to Jesus. And that we can believe that Jesus was sent by the Father. That's the reason he raised Lazarus from the dead. So we would believe. Yes, Lazarus being restored to Mary and Martha and everything else was just gravy. The reason Lazarus was raised from the dead was so we would believe it. You and I here today. Not just those people standing there that day. Believe he is the Savior who has resurrection power. And then verse 44, it's so easy to overlook it. At least it is for me. But yet it is just full of truth that we need to grasp because there's more being said than just the same simple thing here of unbind him and let him go. It's true, Jesus was saying, take all those clothes, grave clothes off of Lazarus. He don't need them no more. But it's also true, he was issuing this command, unbind him and let him go. Who do you think was the ultimate person that Jesus was talking to when he said, unbind him and let him go? Death. Death, hell, hell. And the devil, all of it, everything that's evil, he was saying, let him go. He is mine, and I have chosen him for resurrection power and resurrection life. And guess what? He says that to us. Yes, there is going to be a day when he's going to say, rise up, and we come out of the grave. But there's some... Rise up and come out of the grave between now and then, brothers and sisters. It is time for you and me to come out of our grave tomb. It's time to come out of the tomb of shame. It's time to come out of the tomb of mistrust and not believing in him. And when Jesus calls you out of the grave, get up and walk out. Just get up and walk out. Because that ain't where you belong no more. And he is saying that today, right here, right now. He is calling you, come out. Come out of whatever it is that you are doing or this tomb of death that encompasses you. Whether it is shame, mistrust, or unbelief. Come out and live in the light and life. Get up and walk out in the truth of who you are, not who they tell you you are. Let's pray. Oh Lord, thank you. Hallelujah. Praise you, Father. Thank you, Jesus, that this is who we are, chosen in you. And in you, we have resurrection power that lives in us today, not just to wait until the day that you bring us up out of the grave after our death, but to live free, to be unbound, unshackled by your love and grace to live as sons and daughters. In Jesus' name, Father, make it so for our joy and for your glory. Amen.